Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started because they're real strict on wanting us to start on time. And I just noticed I'm five seconds late. So we need to get started. If you're in here uh, to hear somebody that's really uh, highly educated, going to give you really, you know, like a lecture from a college class, you're, you're in the wrong room. You went the wrong place. I don't know. I don't think we got in here at the workshop this year. <laughs> but if you're in here to learn about outreach, you're at the right place. Uh, i give you specifics of what we're going to be talking about this, what I'm going to be talking about now this afternoon. Uh, the board, Our board, Campus Ministry United, we train and plant campus ministries all across the country. And back when we started our first workshop back in 2006, they asked me and Kerry Cox to speak two separate messages that when you put them together is how you run the style of ministry that we run. Well, the board decided they wanted us to repeat those lessons this year off of the things that we have learned over the years uh, in our ministries and growing our ministries. If you're not familiar with Camps Ministry United, stop at our booth at 704. Check it out. We have planted, I've I've lost count of how many Camps Ministry we planted. There's probably 13 or 14 in our association with us. And we are, last year alone, there were over 150 baptisms out of Campus Ministry United. So that'll tell you how effective the outreach has been. Uh, Over 30 years ago, I was here at the Tulsa Workshop, and a keynote speaker stood up, and I don't remember his name, and I think it's good that I don't remember his name because I'm not going to say very nice things about him. But he was a doctor, and he was from Abilene, ACU. He put up this number on the board, on the big screen, 30%. And he made a huge deal out of... Yeah, if you can shut that door, I'm already being overwhelmed by somebody else. Gary Gary Cox. Gary Cox. He put up this big number, 30%, and he made a big deal out of it. He said, you've got to understand what this 30% number represents. 30% of our children that graduate high school are leaving the church. And he was very dramatic about it. He was very dramatic in his presentation, very dramatic about about that 30% and how it was unacceptable and we've got to do something to change it. He shared a plan that he said we could and should do to curb that number. And here was his three-stage plan with with a motto. He said, number one, we've got to encourage Christian college attendance. He said, we've got to do a better job of getting our kids when they graduate high school to get into a safe environment. We've got to do a better job of getting them to attend our Christian colleges where they can be kept safe and kept attached to the church and grow in in the knowledge of the Lord. And then he said, we had to encourage state college campus ministries for those students that didn't go to a a campus, I mean a Christian college. They, they needed to have a campus ministry on their campus where they could stay attached. And in his words again, where they could stay safe in their environment they were in because that's a horrible environment to be in, a state college, and they needed to be kept safe in that environment. So in both of these analogies, he was all about being, keeping them safe. His third thing we had to do was we've got to encourage entertaining ministries all the way up from children through our college age. And here's what he meant by it. He went on to describe how important this was. We've got to make our children's ministries, our youth ministries, for example, we've got to make them highly entertaining. We've got to entertain our kids if we're going to keep them coming. And he, he went on to spell out all the different ways we need it. He came up with an idea that has now turned into something we call LTC, 
and things like that. He said, we've got to have, they've got to be having fun so they'll stay attached so they will stay. Anybody know what the word was? Safe. Safe. <laughs> and his motto that he said we've got to operate by, that we've got to somehow get this to all the churches of Christ, we've got to use this as our motto. We have to keep the saved saved. We have to keep the saved saved. That was his motto he wanted us all to operate from. And then he put up a formula. I'll never forget this formula because I thought it was hilarious when he did it. And I wish I had a PowerPoint, but we didn't have it set up where we could do it in here. So I had his formula up. But here was his basic formula. <laughs> you get married, X. You have children. The X is the times. You have children, X. You entertain those children and X, keep them safe. Keep them in a safe children's program, in a safe entertaining youth group, in a safe entertaining college group. Send them off to a college that is safe and entertaining. <clears throat> they, where they meet their significant other and marry, get married and repeat the process. That was how you were going to run successful ministry. That was how we were going to shrink the 30%. <clears throat> I don't know why he had as much influence as he had. I don't still don't even remember who he was. But churches across the country bought into this method lock, stock, and barrel. We developed entertaining children's ministries, lads to leaders, LTC, where everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets ribbons when they go and participate because we keep our kids entertained and keep them attached and keep focus on our kids. Our Christian colleges started churning out youth ministers with a mission. Can you guess what the mission was? Keep the saved saved. Some of those youth ministers became campus ministers. And their mission was keep the saved saved. The campus ministry model became find church kids, keep them safe, and entertain them. Because that's how you will keep the saved saved. They'd mail out posters to churches. This was how, this was how they run a successful campus ministry. They would mail out posters to churches and youth ministers that basically said, if you have any kids coming to our college, get them attached to us because we will keep them saved. We will keep the saved saved. We'll keep them safe and entertained. And to this day, that's the model of most of the campus ministries in this country. And they're dying out all over the place. We've lost over a hundred campus ministries in the past 15 years. And I contend it's because of this model. In 1999, I was hired as a campus minister, and be perfectly frank with you, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I was working at a, corpus, a church in Corpus Christi, as they, called, as they called me the evangelism minister, and I was doing some work there with young, young adults and they saw what I was doing there and hired me to come take the job in Tampa, Florida as the campus minister. I didn't have any idea what I was doing, what, what to do as a campus minister. I'd never been one. So I visited what I was told was one of the most successful campus ministries in our country. I went and met with a guy, had lunch with him, sat down, spent the whole day with him, seeing his ministry, seeing how he run his ministry. And I asked him, man, how do you do this? How do you do campus ministry? 
And in a nutshell, I took a lot of notes. In a nutshell, here's what he told me. You can probably guess yourself what he told me. He said, first, you have to focus on finding Church of Christ kids, the ones that are graduating and coming to your college. That's the first thing you have to do. Then you have to make sure that you keep them happy, having fun, keep them busy having fun. And then maybe you try to convert a few of their friends. Well, I'd already kind of got a fire lit under, lit under me with evangelism and had started saving a few people where I'd been. And so that statement bothered me a little bit. Maybe try to, to convert a few of their friends. So when he said that, I asked him, I'll never forget this. I said, is that the extent of your evangelism? Listen to his reply. He put his hands on the table, looked me in the eyes. He said, really listen to this. Because if you're going to run a successful ministry, you must know this. If you focus too much attention on reaching the lost, you'll lose your church kids. And Lynn, we're supposed to keep the saved saved. Now he heard that somewhere. <laughs> Remember, this all started because we were, because 30% of the graduating seniors leaving high school were leaving the church. You see... What we've done is developed in-reach focused ministries focused on one thing, keeping the saved saved. I challenge you to read your Bible and find that statement in there. I challenge you. Nobody's ever done it yet, and I've spoke this message a few times. Tell me, how do you think it's worked so far? It's been over 30 years ago. We've been operating on this model for over 30 years, and throughout our churches, Throughout our campus ministries, a lot of our, most of our campus ministries, how do you think it's worked so far? You, you said it failed over 100 campus ministries. There you go. The new number is 50%. And that's in the Bible Belt. 50% of our kids graduating high school are going to leave the church. That's what the newest research shows. That's in the Bible Belt. You get outside the Bible Belt, in some places they tell me it goes as high as 80%, depending on where you are in the country. I know down in Florida, it was pretty high. <laughs> it's failed miserably. Something went terribly wrong. This is going to make some of you angry, because it always does when I say this. But here's the obvious answer, and you have to give the obvious answer, even though it might make somebody angry. Our youth ministries, our campus ministries, and our Christian colleges have become glorified babysitters. We gather together in holy huddles, keeping everyone safe and entertained, and Satan's eating them alive. And our churches are turning gray as a result. Let me ask you, and really think about it. Where in God's Word do we ever find an in-reach model for any type of ministry? I've studied my scriptures. I don't find them anywhere. So what this class is about, what I'm going to appeal to you for, is a different approach. And the approach is called the outreach filter. All of our ministries that are associated with Camps Ministry United operate from this model. Together, we're baptizing over 150 people a year so far and growing. The outreach filter is real simple. I'll explain it this way. This is the outreach filter. You might say it's an air filter, but trust me, it's not. Every idea anybody comes up with 
in our college ministries, it doesn't matter what that idea is. It can be something as simple as a Bible study. No matter what it is, it has to go through this filter called of outreach. You have to show me how it's going to reach a lost person. If you can't show me how it's going to reach a lost person, we're not interested in doing it. It's that simple. That's how simplistic the model is. Everything we do runs through it. First, in order to make this outreach filter work, though, how do you practically do it? The first thing you have to do is develop a team. A team that's willing to be mission-focused. In other words, a team that's willing to view their university campus as a mission field. This also works in youth ministry. By the way, I'll give you a freebie here. When I went into that ministry and I couldn't figure out what to do, I couldn't figure out how to do it, I went and visited what, what I knew to be one of the most successful youth ministers in the United States. He had baptized over 250 people in a three-year period. So I knew I needed to go find out what he was doing because that church hired me to reach out on campus and baptize people. And I didn't know what I was doing as campus minister. So I went and visited him. I got on a plane. I flew from Tampa, Florida to Tulsa, Oklahoma and met with Mitch Wilburn current youth minister at Park Plaza at that time. And he said and spelled out for me how he did what he did. And the first thing was, you have to operate with a purpose on purpose. And that takes some training. And here, here's what the purpose was supposed to be. I was going to tell you that, by the way, this is where you lose most of the church kids. I... In case you think I have a problem with church kids, I want you to understand something. I am one, born and raised in the church. I don't really have a problem with them. I just have a problem with what I was and what and, until what I became. Here's the purpose. First, seek and save the lost. That has to be right up top. That has to be the number one purpose of running your ministry. Everything else goes through that. You find that you teach lessons on that from Luke 19:10 and Matthew 9:12 through 13. I'm gonna go through this kind of fast because it's supposed to be on a PowerPoint. And I'll go over my time if I don't. The second part of the purpose is pretty similar. It's expand the kingdom. Mark 16, 15, and Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Third thing is train mighty warriors. Acts 4, 19, and Acts 14, 19 through 20. If I go through these two fast, you want them afterwards, come to me and I'll give them to you. The next one is die to self. If anybody's been involved in any of the campus ministries we have anything to do with, you'll find that more than likely if you go into if they have a college room and you go into it, you'll see it in big words. Die to self. When I got in the campus ministry in Tampa, first thing I did was after being taught this, is went up on the board and took a magic marker that wouldn't couldn't be erased and wrote in giant letters, die to self. It was the foundation of our of our ministry, which I say is the foundation of being a Christian. If you don't die to self, you're, you're really not a Christian. Galatians 2.20, John 12.25, and Matthew 16.24. And then they have to be taught, this team you're preparing to go out on a campus has to be taught, it's not about you. It's not about what you like. It's not about what you don't like. It's not about you at all. It's about those people out there that are lost. 1 Corinthians 9.19-22. Romans 15.1 and 2. And the last thing is you have to teach them. Really, instead of teaching them, you have to give them a purpose for their lives. See, I contend the reason our kids are leaving the church 
is we're not giving them a reason to stay. We're not giving them a purpose. If their purpose has been what they've seen most of their parents do all their life, which is show up at church on Sunday and then go home, and most churches don't even have it on Sunday night anymore, and then they're back at Wednesday and then go home, and that's the extent of their Christianity, they don't have a purpose. My purpose is just to go to church. That's my purpose. They're looking for something bigger than that. And believe me, there is something bigger than that. We have a mission to give them that's bigger than anything the world has to offer because it is an eternal purpose. You can change eternity for people. And what bigger purpose could there be in life than that? You have to teach them about that purpose and how to do it. That's John 15, 1-17, and Luke 8, 4-15. This is what must be taught in order to build a team that will go out onto your campus and fight for souls. We Yes, we use a warrior mentality because we are in a war. Whether you recognize it or not, we are in the mother of all wars. We are fighting the hordes of hell for the souls of mankind. And whether you want to be involved in it or not, you are. You're either on God's side or you're on Satan's side. Some people don't like hearing that either. They think if you're kind of sitting in the middle, I just go to church on Sunday and I punch my ticket, I'm on that right side. No, you're not. If you're not involved in doing His will, then whose will are you doing? (laughs) Think about that for a while. Now, about this time, when I've taught this lesson to churches that are looking to expand their ministries and trying to turn the focus out, because believe it or not, I go visit churches where they are trying to take their current campus ministry and rechange the focus. And I'll go and talk with them about it. And about the time I get to this part of the presentation, there's somebody in the room going, but what about keeping the saved saved? Now hear me. That's exactly what we're doing. Because the only way you're going to keep the saved saved is to give them a mission and a purpose bigger than what the world has to give them. Amen. You really need to hear this. You cannot... Keep the saved saved by focusing on them. We've been trying that for over 30 years, and all it's done is produce spoiled, rotten, selfish children who are now coming, have become adults. Folks, this method is not a theory. Thousands of people have been added to the kingdom using this model. And I will, I would, I will expand that. Thousands of people have been added using this model since we started using the model in 2006. Millions have been added using this model since the church started and God spread them from Jerusalem out. This is the model they used when they left Jerusalem. It's Bible-based. So allow me to further explain the outreach filter because that's what it's all based upon. Like I told you, every idea that we come up with is designed... To reach someone else. So if you come into the ministry and you're being a part of the ministry and, and you want to do an outreach event, and let's say it's even something that's that's really good, like let's say feeding the homeless. That's a good thing, isn't it? Tulsa does a good job of that with their uh, under the bridge, Park Pleasant. Nightlight. Nightlight. It's called Nightlight. They go under the bridge and they feed a lot of people. It's, it's one of the things to it. But if you come to me with that idea, we're going to go feed the homeless. Okay, run it through the filter. How are you going to reach anybody? Because if you're just going to go down there and feed people, you're wasting my time, you're wasting God's time. Some of you don't like that. But if that's the only reason you go do it, who are you satisfying? Yourself. It's selfish. And you're supposed to be dead. It's not supposed to be about you. 
Now, if you run that through the filter, we're going to go feed the homeless. Well, how are you going to reach somebody? Well, all of our guys, most of my guys that are in here right now, they could all answer that question for you. Well, okay, here's because they'd have to come up with a way for it to reach somebody or they know we're not going to do it. Well, here's what we would do. Our friends on campus are really into the social justice. So we could get them to go with us and feed the homeless. And while we're feeding the homeless, we'll get a chance to meet them and get to know them. And later on, we'll be in Bible studies. And before you know it, they're a Christian like me. You ran it through the filter, man. I'm all in. Let's do it. It went from, I'm not interested in doing feeding the homeless, to now I'm very interested in feeding the homeless. Well, some of you might be thinking, well, how could you do that in youth ministry? How about, how many of you in here have been to church camp? How many of the youth ministries go to church camp? How many of the youth ministries, the only way you get to go to youth camp is if you bring a friend? Oh, but that might be that might be dangerous. That might not be safe. <laughs> think about it. We also try to think of unique out- outreach-focused opportunities. Uh, if you stay in here and hear Kerry Cox after I'm through, he's bringing the second half of this, and he'll talk about what I'm talking about a little bit more. But just to give you an example, we try to think outside the box and think of something that the world is doing that's horrible, that's sinful, that we can reclaim and make it not horrible and not sinful. But they're doing it, and it's attracting large crowds. We can take it and turn it into some good Christian event and reach them. Because they'll want to come to it. For example, something crazy like a root bear carrier. A lot of our ministries have saved a lot of people using a root bear carrier. You know why? Because they're out there doing... If, if you were driving down Brookside not too many months ago, and you were driving down Brookside, and you look over in front of the church building, there's somebody doing a keg stand. You're going, well, that's simple church of Brookside's doing a keg stand. Well, they were, but they were doing a keg stand with root beer. Root beer. Root beer. They were having a blast with root beer. I can't tell you how many. First time I learned about root beer kegger, I went and visited Kerry Cox's ministry up in St. Louis at Lindenwood University, and they were doing that one there. About fifteen hundred college kids coming out of out of a football game come out into this event where they're having a root beer kegger. And I, as I mingled in through this crowd, just seeing how it was going to work, I can't tell. I bet I heard it fifty times. I can't believe I'm having this much fun. And I'm not drunk. This is root beer. You hold events that the world has taken and turned horrible. And you turn them into something that's godly and you reach them for Christ. Uh, another example, we, we do an event called Casino Night. Yes, it's gambling. No real money involved, but they're having the time of their life and there's no money involved. They're not losing anything. They're, they're getting prizes at the end of the night. They're having good food and fellowship. We draw people on campus like crazy to that. Where we meet them, we talk to them about Jesus, and before you know it, we're in Bible studies with them. And you're saying, well, does that stuff really work? Antoine, does that stuff really work? If you see somebody doing a cake stand, would you, would you pay any attention to it when you were unsaved? Antoine's one of our people that came from across the street on Brookside and said, um, they're doing a cake stand over there. They must have beer. <laughs> now he's a Christian. And he don't drink beer. 
You get my point? I hope you do. Hear more of that with Kerry Cox because that what we do when we run those events is we train our team to go into the crowd with a motive to make a connection and meet somebody and then go do things that they are doing. Go to the movies with them. Go out to eat with them. Become their friends. Because if I go out to the movie with them, I go wherever they go and I have fun with them, then when I want to invite them to something I'm going to, it's not really strange. They go, well, you go where I go. We're friends. Sure, I'll go where you go. There's nothing strange about it. And it works. It's effective as outreach. The outreach ministries... We are constantly working on keeping their minds focused on reaching out to other people. And let me tell you, that takes constant teaching and constant focus because it's not natural. It's not something we've been raised in in the church. I'm often asked, Lynn, is there any one thing that you do that must be done with the outreach filter in order for this to work? In order for our ministries to be effective at outreach, is there any one thing that you must do to make it work? Yes, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> there is something. You have to develop servant leaders. And you have to develop servant leaders that will develop servant leaders behind them. These are people that are going to fill in the gap when you have one. When you're using the war analogy again, when we're all on the front lines, standing side by side, swinging our swords at the demons, fighting for somebody's soul, if somebody goes down, it's the one behind them that's going to step in and take their place. These are servant leaders. These are people that climb down the ladder instead of climbing up the ladder. When I look for people in our, in, in our ministry that I want to start working into some type of leadership, you know what I look for? I look for people that get it. I look for people that are not wanting a title. I look for people that are already serving. People that already are servants at heart. Focused on outreach. People that are producing fruit. They're there to serve, not be served. They want to be there, not have to be there. And they know this one thing. This is, this is fundamental with me. They know... It's not about them. Hear me. We, the body of Christ everywhere, must become servants in order to turn our focus outward. You may have heard this story because I've told it before, but this is a true story. It happened back in the early 90s. Uh, it was just released by the government to be able to even be out there and be told. It's a story about 13 men who had been taken captive in some place, some foreign country. I don't even remember where it was. I want to say Iran or someplace like that, but it's, it's one of those countries they had been taken captive. And these 13 people had very sensitive in, information for our security of our country. A Navy SEAL team was put together to do a rescue mission. With that Navy SEAL team, there was one NSA agent that went with them. His job was to inform them and enforce upon them that if you couldn't get them out you had to kill them the information they had was so sensitive they could not be left behind and the information get out there the SEAL team went on their mission 
they got there. They went through a lot to get there. I won't go through all, all the part of the story of getting there, but they got there. They got on site. They found these men in a room, probably not unlike this room. There were no windows. There was only one door. There was no lights, no electricity, no toilets. All 13 men were in there. They were all stripped naked. They had all been tortured to some extent. They were scared men. So when our men bust into the room, the first thing they're doing with all this equipment on, they've got their guns, they've got their lights on their helmets. You know you know what Navy SEAL teams look like. They burst into the room. Well, it scares these men to death. They all head to one area, dirt floor. It's just muck. They head to one area and they all lay down on the floor. They don't know who these people are that are coming in. So our, finally, our, our men, our soldiers recognize that's them. This is the people we've come to save. So they're yelling at them. Come on, we're here to save you. We're the, we're the U.S. Navy SEALs, we're here to save you. They're screaming at them, they're hollering at them, and the men are just even more petrified, more terrified, have been tortured to the point they don't trust anything or anybody, and they're laying on in that muck on top of each other, just holding on to each other. In their earpiece, from the NSA officer says, we're running out of time. If you can't get them out of here in the next two or three minutes, we're going to have to exercise the option. Now the men are kind of panicked because they don't know what to do. Some of them are going over and trying to pull on them. It's it's not doing any good. They're just holding on each other tighter. One officer gets an idea. He immediately starts taking all his stuff off, takes his helmet off, takes his jacket off, takes everything, lays his gun down, takes strips down as close as he can get to nude and goes over and gets down on his hands and knees in the face of one of the the captives and says to him, listen to me. We're from your home country. We're one of you. We are here to rescue you. We are here to take you home. We love you. He sees a glint. He tells the story. He sees a glint in the guy's eyes that maybe there's a little bit of recognition happening. He says to him, I'm going to stand up. If you'll stand up with me, I believe the rest of your people will also stand up and we can save you and take you home and take you to your families. He slowly stood up, and so did the rest of them. And they were able to rescue those 13 men. That's a touching story. That's what Jesus did for us. He took off His power. He took off His majesty. He got down in the muck and He said, I am is one of you. I am loves you. I will be with you to the end. I will take you to the Father. You know, when Jesus, I think the most important, I think if you were to ask Jesus what was the most important lesson you taught, I think he, I believe he would say, and I believe it because of the way our scriptures are laid out, it was the last lesson he taught this morning. Do you remember it? He picked up a towel took his outer robe off. He got down on his knees and he washed the apostles' feet. This was his lesson. He washed their feet. You know the story. He goes down the line, he gets to Peter, and Peter says, you're not washing my feet. If I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. I'm going to wash my whole body. He was teaching them a lesson. What was the lesson he was teaching them? Servants. Servants. 
He was teaching them, this is how we're going to do everything I've just taught you. Everything I've taught you from the beginning comes down to this one lesson. You've got to serve other people. When he finished, I, in my mind, I picture him dropping the towel. He was done with his lesson. Please hear me. Jesus told us to go and make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them to obey everything He commanded it, commanded us. That's our mission. That's our purpose. He did not say anywhere, keep the saved saved. That's not the great co-mission. <clears throat> By the way, the only way, as I've told you before, that you're going to keep the saved saved is to get them involved in the mission. Because babysitting doesn't work. When Jesus finished washing the apostles' feet and He dropped the towel, I wonder who picked it up. Now, we'd all might have our own opinions. Peter? Peter was the most brash one in the bunch. Was he the one that first picked it up? Maybe it was John. John got to the tomb first. Maybe he's the one that picked it up. They all became powerful servants of God, no matter who picked it up first. They all became powerful servants. So, in my opinion, here's the solution to dying churches and shrinking churches and dying ministries. Turn your ministries outward. Become servants. I will warn you when you do it, you'll lose people in your church. If you do it a whole church wide, you'll lose some people in your church. If you do it in a campus ministry, you'll lose some people in your campus ministry. You do it in a youth ministry, you'll lose some people in your youth ministry because there are an awful lot of people out there that are pretending to be Christians, but they're not. And they don't want to be part of, a, of the mission of Christ. They want Jesus for His blood, but they don't want Him for His life. <coughs> I call that vampire Christians, but that's another sermon. <laughs> Solution, turn our churches outward and become Servants of the Most High. It's time for all of us to take our turn and pick up the towel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me.